This, uh, this week, my wife was gone for a few days at the beginning of the week. Actually, several weeks ago, uh, a friend of ours, a family friend, called my wife and said, hey, uh, I've got to head down to Florida for a, a, a conference. Would you be interested in joining me for a few days down in Palm Springs, Florida for this uh, Palm Beach, Palm Beach, Palm Beach, Palm Beach, Florida. Thank you. for. Uh, uh, would you be interested in coming down uh, to Palm Beach for this, for this conference with with me and my wife comes to me and says, hey, what do you think about me going for three days down to this conference? You know, um, and unfortunately, I was not listening as attentively as I should have been when she asked that question because I did what I often do when I'm a little bit distracted and my wife asked me something. I go, sure, honey, that sounds wonderful. You just do what you want to do. And uh, it actually didn't hit me the ramifications of what that would mean until last Sunday evening, I'm driving my wife to the airport, recognizing, because I've got four children in the back of the van, recognizing that for the next three days, I was going to be in charge of the troops, and my wife was going to be lounging on a beach somewhere, uh, enjoying herself in Florida. So, so we drop her off at the airport, and then on the drive home, like it starts to really hit me. Reality sinks in. Like tonight, I've got to brush teeth change diapers, get people fed, get homework done, uh, get PJs on, get backpacks ready for tomorrow. I mean, I got, there's like, you know, prayers prayed, stories, tears wiped. I got a lot to do tonight. And then tomorrow morning, I've got to get up and get kids, four kids dressed, get them ready, change more diapers, get people dressed, get food in them, get their backpacks ready, get them to school, get them to preschool, get them, you know, and I'm thinking about all this and I'm like thinking, oh man, this is not, this is not good. Like, this is not going to work. Like, like, am I allowed to be in charge of four children? Is that? And what I decided to do is, as I'm, as I'm running the calculations in my mind, I realized what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to separate the main things from the side things, okay? I'm going to have to focus on the essentials, and I'm just going to have to let some non-essentials slide. So, changing diapers... That's a main thing, all right? You got to do that. Dental hygiene, that's a side thing. I mean, those, those teeth are all going to fall. Those are baby teeth. They're going to have all new teeth. We're not even worried about that, right? Getting kids fed, main thing, right? Hair brushed, side thing, because you got hats, you got scarves. There's other things you could do, right? So I'm like trying to work out what's the main thing, what's the main thing, and what's the side thing. Now, you may be a stay-at-home parent, or you may be a CEO of a, of a, of a national uh, or an international corporation, or you may be a, a student or a teacher, or you may be whatever you are, but you know and I know that all of us have all kinds of duties and, and, and commitments and obligations and responsibilities in our life, and if we're going to actually do them well, if we're going to end up uh, not running down rabbit trails and missing out on the main point of life, we've got we've to learn to delineate between the main thing and the side thing, right? So today what I want to do is spend a few minutes in the scripture talking about the main thing. Tell somebody next to you, keep the main thing the main thing. Would you tell them? Help me out. The main thing has to be the main thing. Now... If you're a, a follower of Jesus today, then this is, this, what I'm about to preach, it may not be my best sermon that I ever preach, but the content of it is the most important content that I will ever preach in our church, ever. 
Because what we're going to do is we're going to spend a few minutes exploring what Jesus says is the main thing about life. We're going we're gonna to look at what he says is the main thing. Because if we know what the main thing is, then we know what to focus on. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you used to be. Or maybe you're thinking about becoming. Or maybe you're just contemplating it. This is a great, great Sunday for you to be here. Because you get to hear from Jesus' own words what he says is the main thing in life. And, and the story that we're going to look at begins in the context of, of a confrontation between Jesus and some religious scholars, some religious leaders uh, of his day in the first century. The scripture in Matthew, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 22. It says this, it says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So let me just give you some context on what's happening here. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees are two religious organizations, two religious denominations. The Sadducees are more of the aristocratic uh, uh, religious, Jewish religious leaders of the day. Uh, they're part of the Sanhedrin. They had generally a more liberal view of the scripture. The Pharisees are a little more fundamentalist. They're a little more hardcore. Uh, they, they have a, you know, a, a, a very strident view of the scripture. And normally these two parties didn't agree on much. They would fight over little things, but they agreed on this, not, not on purpose, but what they both did was that they majored on the minors and they minored on the majors. And Jesus would point this out to them from time to time. He would say things like, you know what, you strain at a gnat, but you're willing to swallow a camel. In other words, you're willing, you're, you're, you're letting go of the big picture, focusing on the granular level stuff that is, is important, but, it's, but, but not, at the, not, at, not at, the, at the sake of losing this. In fact, he would say this. He said, one time he said to them, he goes, you guys are so focused on, on, on like the rules that you will tithe on the basil and the mint and the garden herbs that you grow in your garden, but then when somebody asks you for help because they're struggling and they're poor and they need something to eat, you'll ignore them, right? Because he said you're majoring on the minors and you're minoring on the majors. So that's one of the things that both of these groups had in common. The other thing they had in common is neither of them liked Jesus very much. Because Jesus would say things like that to them right in front of everybody, put them on blast, make them uncomfortable. And, and he was starting to erode the authority and the power that they had with the people. So what they decided to do is we're going to gang up on Jesus. We're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to start asking him a series of hard questions. And we're going to do it in public because we, we know that eventually he'll trip up. He'll say something stupid. And then we'll be able to go, see, this guy's a fraud. This guy's a phony. And then we'll be able to undermine his credibility. So they, they start doing these, these questions. The Sadducees are asking the questions. But the scripture says that, 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 that Jesus muzzled them. They were silent. They were made silent. And so the Pharisees then said, okay, our turn to ask the question. And here's what they did. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Now, this is the question that's meant to stump Jesus. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What he's asking here is, hey, Jesus, of all the things that God wants us to do, of all the things that God wants us to believe, of all the things that God wants us to, to know, what is the main thing? What is the main thing in life? Now, the teacher, the expert in the law, actually didn't want to know the answer. What he wanted to do, it didn't matter what Jesus said. What he was going to do is wait to hear what Jesus said, and then he was going to counter-argue him. He was going to say, yeah, but let me, well, what about this? 
Because there were 613 commandments in the Bible, or mitzvah in the Bible. And, and whatever Jesus said, the, the expert in the law is like, look, I've, I know that I can come up with a counterargument. So if Jesus says, well, the most important thing is to honor your mother and the father, then he would go, well, what about the, the law of the Sabbath? Or if Jesus were to say, hey, you know, thou shalt not steal. That's the most important thing in, 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 the, in the Bible. Then he would say, well, what about thou shalt not kill? So no matter what Jesus said, he was going to stump him. Because it's actually really, really hard to know what is the main thing in life. Like if you or I right now went out onto the loop and we just started interviewing people, we just started saying, hey, what's the main thing in life? We would get, just a, we would get some crazy answers. I know that because I know some of the folks hanging out on the loop. But, but, but we would get some, some wild answers. Some of them would be justifiable. Somebody might say, hey, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Health is the main thing in life, right? And another person might go, you know what's the main thing? Family. Family is the main thing in life. And that, that might be what they would say, and you go, okay, I get that. Somebody else might say, you know, happiness is the main thing in life. The main goal of life is to be happy. Or somebody else might say, the main thing in life is to be you, to, to, to express yourself, you know, to, to you be you, man. You know what I mean? So we're, we would get all different kinds of answers. And, and these guys did not know what kind of answer they were going to get from Jesus, but they didn't expect the answer that they did get because here's what Jesus said to them. He said this. Here's the greatest thing. Here's the main thing, he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, I read this and I go, huh, why is loving God the main thing? Because I could think of a lot of things that could be the main thing. Why is loving God the main thing? Why not having faith? Why not repenting? Why not being good? Why not doing good things? Why is love God? That, like, that's, to me, sort of an, a strange thing to say is the main thing of life, love God. Why is that? Why does he say, love God as the main thing in life? And, and here's a truth that I want you to get if you don't get anything else out of today's sermon. Get this. Your life reflects that which you love the most. This is why, this is why, this is why he says, love God. Because your life is a reflection of that which you love. If you love your family, your life will reflect that. If you love your friends, your life will reflect that. If you love your job, your life will reflect that. If you love exercise, your life will reflect that. If you love donuts, your life, come on, you guys still with me? We all love donuts. Hey, uh, we, our life will always reflect that which we love the most. And here's what Jesus is getting at. Because if you want to understand what you were made for, what you were designed to do, what you were designed to be, you got to look back at Genesis chapter 1 because it tells you. And here's what it says. It says, God made mankind in his image, okay? It's a reflection. We are a reflection of God. In the image of God, he created them. Now, I want you to get this, all right? Hang with me because this is so important. You were made to reflect the nature of God. You were designed to reflect the nature of your designer. You were created to reflect the nature of your creator. That's what you were made to do. And we always reflect that which we love. So the reason Jesus says, I want you to love God with everything is because that is what you were made to do. 
and your life will not function fully until it is doing what it is made to do. But you will find incredible fulfillment when you are doing what you were designed to do. When your person is attached to your purpose, then you will experience the joy of knowing that you are doing what you were made to do. So Jesus says, here's why I want you to love God, and here's why that's the main thing. It's because that is what human beings were made to do. We were designed to reflect, the, the, the theological term is imago Dei. Imago Dei. You were made in the image of God. In the image of God, you were made. Your life is built around reflecting the nature of God to every body you meet. His, his joy, his peace, his justice, his mercy, his strength, his power, his love. Your life was de designed to reflect that. That's what you were made to do. That's why Jesus said the main thing is to love God. So what does that look like? Well, when we love somebody, we pursue them. So we love God, we're going to pursue him. I had something happen not very long ago, a few months ago, that profoundly transformed the way I pray, transformed the way I, I perceive God, transformed my attitude about God, and a whole host of things. I, was, I came home one Sunday afternoon, and it was a great Sunday, a great service. We went home, we had lunch, kids are off you know, playing and, 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 and taking naps, and, and uh, I'm sitting at the dining room table, Rebecca's in the kitchen, and I just felt down. I just felt super, like, just down, just, de like, depressed almost, you know, just real sad. I'm sitting at the table, and, and I'm just, you know, she can just see that I'm just, like, kind of, and she goes, what's the matter? And I go, I don't know. I said, I just feel down. I just feel real down right now. She's like, well, it was a great Sunday. I go, no, I know. It's, it's like, it's not anything that happened. I just, for some reason, I just feel real blue right now. And she's like, well, you want to talk about it? I said, yeah, sure. So we start talking about it, and midway through the conversation, I go, you know what? I miss, you know what? I miss my dad today. I miss him. You know, my, my, dad, uh, my dad passed away in 2004, and, you know, so it's been a while, but every once in a while, you miss him, you know? It's like, man, gosh, I wish he was here. And then the more I started thinking about it, I realized, and this had been deep down in my heart, not even recognizing it, that ever since, he, ever since he died, there was a part of my life that was longing to fill the hole that his passing had left. Because everybody, everybody needs a dad. Every, every man needs a father. Every man needs a, every woman needs a father. Everybody, there's a father hunger in, in the heart of every single person. We all need a father. And as I'm talking to Rebecca, I'm like, man, and then I start realizing, you know, it's not just him. I'm actually longing for a, a sense of father in my life. Like, like I didn't even realize, I wasn't expecting that, you know? It's like the psychoanalysis at the dinner table. I'm like, whoa, you know? And, it's, and then something happened that was so powerful and so so crisp and so clear and so palpable that it sort of stunned me because I experienced God speaking into my heart clear as a bell and you know what he said he goes I'm your dad I'm your dad that was it no trumpets no clouds God spoke in my heart and goes I'm your dad and I turned to Rebecca I go man God just spoke to me in my heart she's like oh what did he say and he said I said he said I'm your dad. And she's like, well, yeah. I mean, you've been preaching that every week for six years. I mean, come on, preacher. I mean, that's not profound. But here's the thing. I knew it here, but I wasn't experiencing it here. I had, I had pursued the knowledge, but I hadn't pursued him in my heart of hearts. And, and, and it transformed the way I started seeing everything. It transformed the way I started experiencing him. In fact, it changed the way I, I do my devotions. My devotions were very very structured and very organized before, you know, and, and, and 
you know, I'll get up in the morning before anybody else gets up. I go down to the couch. I got my Bible. I got my cup of coffee. And then my other cup of coffee immediately following that one. And then I've got my, my books. And then I kind of like do this study. And, 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 but ever since that, that day, I've started sitting down to do my devotion. And my devotion starts like this. I sit on the couch. I go, hey, Dad. And then I start to talk to him. And he starts to talk to me. And I read his word. And we have an interaction. Because it's a relationship. Because I love him. The reason I love him is because he loves me. He loved me before I loved him. He loved me when I didn't even like him, when I didn't know him, when I didn't, because what, he, what he's saying is this, I want you to love me, I want you to pursue me because I've been pursuing you. I've been running after you and the main thing in life is to love me, so we do that when we pursue him. We start pursuing him. And then we also, if we not only pursue him, we prioritize him. We gotta put him, put him first. We gotta put his stuff before everything else. That's why I said it's the most important thing. It comes before family, friendship, job, career. We prioritize him, right? I did a wedding yesterday. One of the things that I love, I officiated a wedding. One of the things I love about weddings, my favorite part about weddings are the vows. The vows, they're just like, you know, it's like in sickness and in health, for richer, for poor, for better, for worse, forsaking all others, keep yourself only unto him or only unto her for so long as you shall live. And to me, I love that language because it's language of priority. It says this person is priority for me. We always prioritize that which we love. That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek that first. And then all these other things, when you're building better relationships and better families and better schools, that gets filled in when you're coming after me first. So you, you, you pursue me, you prioritize me. And when you love somebody, when you love God, you try to please him. You try to please him. That's what it means to love God. That means you are seeking to, to, to please him. When a, a, a lover always seeks to please the beloved. That's just part of the nature of being a lover, is that you want to please that person whom you love. In, some, in a way, you can actually distinguish between a relationship with God and, and, and strictly religious behavior by the motivation, right? We seek to please God because we love him, because he's done so much for us, so we want to please him because we love him. If you've been a part of a religious tradition or a background where the motivation was fear or guilt or shame or control or, or, or domination or anything like that, that's not what Jesus is talking about. That's not what he's calling you to. That is not the gospel. He's saying, when Jesus says, Jesus says something so fascinating, he says, those who love me obey my commandments. And you could read this in a couple different ways. You could read it as him saying, those who love me better obey my commandments, right? Like, you better. Or you can read it as, you know what? Those people who love me are trying to please me. So they just obey me. And when they don't obey me and they screw up and they fall down and they stumble, well, then they ask for forgiveness so they can get back up to try to please me, right? So when he's saying, I want you to love me, he's saying, look, this is, this is motivated out of a desire to please and pursue and prioritize God. And so this is what love is all about. This is the main thing in life. So Jesus says this to these Pharisees and Sadducees, and they don't really have a comeback for this. 
Like they don't, they weren't expecting him to go into this. They thought that he was going to say something else and then they could zing him and then it, you know, and then they could make him look bad. But he throws down this love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they're all going, man, I don't know how, how do we, what do we say to that? Right. And then Jesus does what Jesus does. And I love what Jesus does because he, he, he gives him a bonus track. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to double down on you. I'm gonna, I, he's gonna, he's like, I'm gonna James Harden you. I'm gonna juke this way and you're gonna, you're gonna fall and I'm gonna come back this way. And he says, look, I'm gonna tell you something. I'm gonna tell you something that, that I'm gonna add to the main thing. I've just given you the main thing, but actually the main thing is two parts. The main thing is two parts. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he goes, but, but here's the bonus track. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because that's actually tied to it. What he's saying here is this. He's saying, Loving God means that you are reflecting the image of God, right? Through your life, you're reflecting God's nature through your life. The second part is you are recognizing God's nature and God's image in every single person around you. So you're reflecting it with your own life through your love for him, and you're recognizing it when you look into the eyes of the person next to you and go, oh my God, that person is made in the image of God. That person is made in God's image. So now I've got to love them because they were made in God's image in the same way that I was made in God's image. And if I'm going to love God, I've got to love his children. There's no point in trying to love me if you don't like my kids. I'm telling you, because I love my kids more than I like you. All right? I love you. But, but here's the thing. God is saying, look, if you want to love me, part of it means you've got to love my children. You've got to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the troubling part of the word of this passage for me is that word, neighbor. Because I, I want to know, like, how broad, how comprehensive is that word? Because I don't know if I can love everybody. So is there some, are there some boundaries? Can, I, can we put some categories around this? And what Jesus does, it's, it's interesting because the Pharisees do the same thing that I'm doing. And they, they want to sort of box it in and be like, all right, but, but you don't mean like, like, who do you mean? Like, how far do we have to go? And if you look at Luke chapter 10, I'm not going to have time to do it today, but, but over lunch today, get o- open your phone and go to Luke chapter 10 and read it because one of the Pharisees asked him, who's my neighbor? Oh man, this will trip him up, right? No, this won't trip him up. And Jesus gives a parable it's known as the Good Samaritan. It's the most important, one of the most important parables, one of the most well-known parables in the Bible. But in the parable, here's how he describes neighbor. He describes neighbor as the person you are least likely to love. He describes neighbor as somebody from a different culture, a different background, a different ethnicity, a different race, a different religion, a different tribe, a different culture from you. That's neighbor. And he's saying love neighbor as much as you love self. Now, that's not easy to do. That's not, that's, I don't know if it's possible to do. Really? Because here's one thing I know about you and I know about me. And sometimes we don't like ourselves and sometimes we are upset at ourselves and sometimes we get down on ourselves, but we do love ourselves. I mean, we're going to make sure that we're fed. I'm going to make sure that I have something to eat because I, I don't, I, I love myself enough to make sure that I'm fed. But I'm not sure that I love everybody enough to make sure that everybody's fed, right? I'm going to make sure that I got a roof over my head because I love myself and I, and, I, and I love my family, so I'm going to make sure that's okay. 
but do I love other people enough to make sure that they have a roof over there? Here's, that's what he's saying. He's, that's what it means to love as yourself. He's saying, I want you to love them like you love yourself. I want you to love God, and then I want you to love them. A few weeks ago, I was given an opportunity to speak at an event uh, on the issue of racial reconciliation, and the topic was the, God, the, the power of the gospel to change hearts and minds around the issue of race. That was the topic that I was invited to speak on. And as I'm looking at that topic, I'm like, huh. And I started to think about it, and then I, I came up with a question that I posed to the, to the people at that event, and I pose it to you this morning. And the question is this. If the gospel has the power to change hearts and minds around the issue of race, then why in 2,000 years has it predominantly not done so in the lives of the overwhelming number of Christians around the world? Like, if it has the power to do it, why hasn't it done it, right? I mean, why why are, are, are people as segregated and divided now as they've ever been? In fact, more so in some cases. Why are churches as segregated as they are? Why are Christians around the world at odds with one another? Why, why? W.E.B. E. Du Bois in 19-something, early, long time ago, 115 years ago, do the math, um, uh, said that the problem uh, of, the, of the 20th century is the problem of the color line. I mean, he could have written that last week, you know? And, and then the question is, if the gospel has the power to change our hearts around these kinds of issues, why hasn't it not done so? For me, I think the answer lies in a, in a, in a little soul food restaurant in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'll explain what I mean. When Rebecca and I were dating, uh, she invited me out to Nashville, where she was living at the time, to come and see her. And we're out, at Na- we're out in Nashville, and she knows that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. So she says, hey, I want to invite you to this meat and three restaurant down here in Nashville. Now, has anybody ever been to a meat and three restaurant? Anybody know what a meat and three restaurant? Okay, I have never been to a meat and three restaurant. Never heard of it. But it's exactly what it sounds like. You go in, it's like a soul food restaurant, and it's like a buffet. And you get a meat... And then you get three side dishes, all right? So you come in and you get some pork chops or some pork steak or some pork ribs or some fried chicken or some chicken fried steak or some meatloaf. And um, it's really good. And then, and then over here you get your side dishes. So you get your cream corn or your lima beans, spinach, fried okra. You get your, you get your sides, right? And then you get some cornbread and then you get some sweet tea. And it's good, all right? Some of you are like, let's dismiss and get out of here. Um, so... And look, everybody loves the sides, and everybody loves the cornbread, and every, everybody loves the, the, the sweet tea, but the main dish is the meat. Like, that's what you come for, right? That's what, that's what it's, the side dishes are just there to help you not feel so guilty about all the copious amounts of fried meat that you were enjoying at that time. So you might be asking, like, at this point, has the preacher gone off the rails? Why are we talking about the meat? So here's the answer. Here's the answer. The reason that the gospel has not transformed our hearts and minds around the issue of race predominantly for 2,000 years is that for 2,000 years the Christian church has been serving up side dishes as if it were the main dish and has been serving up the meat as if it were a side dish because Jesus says the main dish the main thing is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself that has not been the main dish of the Christian faith for the last 2,000 years. That's not what we've been doing. 
we've been serving that up as a side dish. Oh yeah, that's important too. And then we've got all these other things as, as, as the main dish. We've got side dishes that we're serving up as the main dish and we can't figure out why God hasn't transformed our communities and transformed our world. It's because as Christians, we've been serving up the side dish, not the main thing. Jesus is saying, this is the main thing. And if you and I are tempted, as we all are, to say, well, wait a minute. There's a lot of other important things. Here's what Jesus says. He says, on these two commandments, give me that next slide. On these two commandments, all the law and all the prophets hang on those two commandments. What he's saying there is everything that Moses said and Elijah and Elisha and Amos and Obadiah and Samuel and David and Paul and everybody else, everything they said, good, important side dishes. Main dish, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. That's at the heart of the gospel. That's what it is. That's why that's why the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and anybody else in the gospel is between a woman from a different ethnicity, a different race, a different culture, a different religion than him. That's why when he prays before his death, he says, Father, I pray that they would all be one even as you and I are one, I and you and you and me. That's why when he dies on the cross, the veil in the temple is torn in two and the holiest of holies is made available to the whole world. That's why the Great Commission is, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's why on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down and fills their mouth with the ability to speak in the languages of every tribe, tongue, and nation around the world. That's why uh, the Holy Spirit takes Philip from Samaria down to meet an Ethiopian on his way back to his home country so he can spread the gospel. That's why uh, in, in Acts chapter 10, Peter gets a vision, an anti-bigotry vision, where God says, look, I want you to go and preach to these Italians that you don't like, these Romans that you despise, because that's the meat of the gospel, is that we're reconciling the world to one another and to me, to God. That's what he's saying. We're bringing, that's the meat of the gospel. Love God, love your neighbor. That's why in, in, in the book of Revelation, when John has a vision of the heavens, he says, it's like this. Every tribe, tongue, nation, people group coming together, worshiping God together as one. Because that's the meat of the gospel. In fact, Paul, the apostle Paul gets this. He gets this. And I'm going to close with this if you want to come up and play. He gets this because he says this in, in 1 Corinthians 13. And people use this for weddings, and that's cool. But he's really saying it to you and me because he wants to make sure we know what the main thing is. Because he says, if I were to speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, then I'm like a clanging cymbal. I'm like a loud, obnoxious gong ringing in your ear. He said, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can see all wisdom and I can see all mysteries and I can see everything and I'm a prophet, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. He said, if I have all faith so that I can say to this mountain, be thou removed and the mountain is removed, but I don't have love, then I am nothing. And if I give all my money to the poor and if I give my body to be burned, if I become a martyr, but I don't have love, then I've got nothing because love is the main thing. Loving God and loving your neighbor is the main thing. That's the thing. And so I believe it is our purpose, our mission as a church to focus on the main thing, to make the main thing 
the main thing. To go after it. To love God completely and to love one another unconditionally. To bring people and God together in love. That's what we're a part of. So if you're here today and you're going, I wonder what this Christian thing is all about, what this Jesus thing is all about. This is what it's about. We've screwed it up a lot of times and, and served you a lot of side dishes as if it were the meat. But what I just told you, this is the meat. This is the main thing. And Jesus is inviting you and me to partner with him in taking the main thing and spreading it all around the world. If we really do this, there is no, there, there is no hunger in the world. There's no hunger crisis. Because I love this kid and, I, and I'm going to make sure they eat. Because I'm making sure I eat. And there is no homeless crisis because I'm, a, I'm under a roof. They're going to be under a roof. There is no education crisis because I want to make sure my kids get an education. So I got to make sure that kid gets an education because I love him. I love her. Right? There is no racism. There is no bigotry because I love you. You love me. We love one another as much as we love ourselves. If we get a hold of this, it's over, y'all. It is, it is on. It's transforming the world by the power of the gospel. That's the main thing. So today, I just want to invite you into that. I want to invite you in to what God has for you as you participate with him in making the main thing the main thing. Let me pray for you. Father, as we close out, I just pray that something from this morning would resonate in the hearts of each and every person here today. Break through all of the, the noise, all of the mess, all of the distractions, all of the side dishes, and help us, Lord, to focus on the main thing, to love you with everything we've got, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to pour it all out, to be real, to be authentic, to be transformed, to press in and become who you have called us to be, a reflection of you, reflecting your image to the world and recognizing your image in the eyes of our neighbor. Father, we ask that you change us, lead us, guide us. And we pray, God, that everything that we do and say here today brings honor, praise, and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.